Hey, welcome to Good Nature, a show about good people dealing with unique challenges and adversity while still doing plenty of good for themselves and others along the way. My name's Tony, I'm a digital media professional, and my unique challenge and adversity is a chronic muscle condition called LGMD2I, which I deal with every day. Today, I welcome FSHD patient and advocate Chris Carino, who just happens to also be the voice of the Brooklyn Nets as well as a radio correspondent for the NFL. We'll talk about his journey with the condition, promising treatments like CRISPR, but to get it started, we're going to talk about one of my favorite things in the world, NBA basketball. Here's me and Chris Carino. So when this comes out, the NBA season will be just about to kick off in you know late December in this very strange year. That's just kind of par for the course. And I want to talk about this team that you get to cover, that you've been covering for what, 20 years now? Yeah, close to it. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you already had a very exciting young group of guys. Shout out to Joe Harris. Uh, <laughs> you, got, you got Coach Steve Nash, who's one of my all-time favorite athletes for you know what he's done on and off the court. Um, and you got one of the most exciting active players, act, absolutely electric kid in Kyrie Irving, hit the biggest shot in the history of my hometown franchise. So I always appreciate him for that. Sure. And arguably, you get to watch the second best player in the world every night on a comeback. And I would say has a lot to prove and is probably really, really excited to be in Brooklyn. So all that said, how excited are you to get to that? And is there a little bit of like, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the team as a member of the New York media. Is this is there a little bit of that like, oh, man, this is OK. This is the big show now. Well, Tony, you gave me a lot to cover there. So let's let's go through a few of these things at a time. Um, it, it I've been this will be my twentieth season as the full time play by play announcer for the Nets. Um, I have gone through all the finals appearances, all these playoff teams they've had over the last twenty years. This is the most highly anticipated season, right? Um, it, it, but it's it's close. It's right up there with my second year which was the second Jason Kidd season. Because if you remember in the first year that Jason Kidd was with the Nets, the 0102 season, he took them from a 26-win team to a 52-win team, which right, came yeah. just completely out of nowhere. And they went to the NBA Finals and then got rolled by the Lakers, who had, was part of their 3 P with Shaq and Kobe and um, – so they were sort of like the Washington Generals in in 2002 in the NBA Finals. But um, it, it was such an exciting year to get there. Then the next season, you know, I think there was a legitimate expectation to get back to the NBA Finals. And there was a pressure on that team to get back and show that it wasn't a fluke. And you, you fast forward now to this season – it's another year where they're expected to get to the NBA Finals. There, there's this this sense that if they they aren't an NBA Finals team, that this season is somehow a failure. Yeah. Uh, so in that regard, it's the second time I'm doing a team where the expectation level is to get there. Now, the thing that makes this team so different is that this isn't a team that's necessarily building on on any success that has that expectation level. It's simply the expectation level comes from looking at the roster. And we all know that these games are not won on paper. Championships are not won in the off season. They are won on the court. And right. yes, the expectation is that 
you have Kevin Durant, you have Kyrie Irving, and you're 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 gonna you could be a championship team, but this team has never even played a game together. Right. All these new faces have never functioned together. And I think that's another reason why you saw all these these rumors come out when when James Harden says that he wants to be a net, you have all these people and these Nets fans that are saying, Wow, you gotta go do that. You gotta build a super team. Again, based on what it would look like on paper and not what it would be like on the court. So 100%. there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of question marks. There's as many questions right now as there as there are expectations. And I'm excited about it. I mean, to get to the next party question, it, it, it's exciting. I mean, you love going into a season where you think this team has a chance to go all the way. Yeah. And it's going to be a, a crazy ride. It's going to be tempered with some... You, you know, I think you have to temper the enthusiasm a little bit going on because, you gotta, again, you got to see how they're going to be. But at the same time, the, the NBA, and they've done such a great job in embracing this over the years, it's all about the drama, right? Yeah. I mean, it's all about as much of the off-the-court drama as it is on the court. And when you think about this net team, they're all, the league is acknowledging it. They're very self-aware. And this Nets team is going to be the first game on December 22nd, the, the prime time, 7 p.m. Eastern time game on TNT. It's going to be the Nets and the Warriors, Durant against his former team. Then Christmas Day, the marquee game on Christmas Day, on the marquee day of the Nets, of, of the NBA calendar at 5 o'clock Eastern time is going to be the Nets and the Celtics. Kyrie Irving going up yeah. against his former team. So right there, it shows you what the league thinks of the Nets. It shows you what the league thinks of them being a national team this year. And what's really interesting is that you bring it up and you're out in California. The, the Nets have this interest throughout the country. They're going to have fans throughout the country. Yeah. You're going to see Brooklyn Nets jerseys all over the nation and the world. But in the New York area, there's less buzz. There's less excitement because they're, they're always second fiddle to the Knicks. Right. So it's a really interesting concept. They're more, I think they're more of a national team right now than they are a local team here in New York. And, and I've always embraced it because I've always known for 20 years, the Nets do things the right way. They've had so much more success than the Knicks over the years. But it's sort of like the Knicks are Starbucks. You know, this huge conglomerate. You know what you're getting. People go there because they're just, it's out of habit. Maybe they don't even realize that the little local coffee shop, you know, the, the Rook Coffee here in New Jersey in Monmouth County that's all over the shore is a little boutique brand that has superior coffee to Starbucks. I know that might be controversial right. to a lot of people, um, but that's sort of, you got to embrace it. And um, I think the Nets will be, uh, I th they will be brewing to use that, stick with that analogy this year. Well, as a big fan of analogies, I really enjoy that one. Um, I, I think you're right on, but I, I'm glad to hear it's at least locally with New York, obviously such a notorious media market. 
the expectations are kind of just like, well, let's see how this goes. Um, so getting into the main reason why you're here, aside from the fact that I could talk to you about your job for well over the allotted time that we have, yes. is you have been dealing with a condition called FSHD, which isn't terribly different from uh, what I have to use another acronym, LGMD2I. It is a form of muscular dystrophy. And so you've had this media career, specifically, I guess, working with the Nets for about 20 years. I know you covered the NFL as well. What's kind of been like the timeline of your trajectory with the condition itself and your career? So I was diagnosed when I was 23. And when you think about, especially in a career that I was trying to to venture into, this uh, career where the odds of making it are, are, are so slim, mm-hmm. there's so many people that want to do it. It's a really, you think about, I'm a, I'm a radio play-by-play voice of an NBA team. There's 30 of us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and people stay in those jobs. I, you know, it's my 20th season. There's others that do it 30, 40 years. So it's not like these jobs open up all that often. It, it, so think about any kid coming out of college. You know, I started to realize there was something wrong physically, probably when I was in college. Same. Yeah. And, and, and then in hindsight, even earlier, but didn't become an issue till my early twenties. And then you get diagnosed and, and all that. And, but the thing about it, and I'm sure you experienced this as well, is it's a, it's a progressive disease, which is not, not good news, but because you know, it's going to get worse. But at the time when you get diagnosed, it's, it's gradual. It's, it's not that impactful early on. It's gradual. And with me, at least, you know, I think the biggest hurdle was the fact that, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm in my early 20s. I'm just getting out of school. I'm trying to embark on a really challenging career, a highly competitive career, but something I've dreamed about and I'm passionate about. I'm gonna, th- those have all their challenges for anybody. Now you're going to heap onto my shoulders the fact that I have this progressive muscle wasting disease that has no treatment and no cure. I, I don't know how you, I, I don't judge it myself and say, I, well, I'm a mentally strong person. I guess I am. I kind of pride myself on that. And I was that way then. And I kind of just said, all right, what can I do? Well, there's nothing I can do uh, medically or anything like that, right? You know, except for, you know, I'm not going to go chasing windmills here. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And then I'll adjust as it goes. And, and I've, I've been fortunate enough that I was able to, to power through that initial diagnosis and deal with it as it comes. And as it's become more impactful on my life in terms of limiting what I can do physically, and it's become over the last you know five or six years to a point where I thought it was difficult before, but now I really know mm-hmm. what is difficult about it. I've, I'm already at a point where I've established myself in my career. And now it has impacted, it, it, I think it's impacted my ambition a little bit in terms of some of the other things that I might try and go after in my career. Uh, or, or would be a little, there, there's just way, there's, there's many complications to it in terms of the travel and the fact that I need someone to be with me when I travel now and, and help me out that, uh, maybe it's, it's made me settle into where I am a little bit now. 
but that's kind of the the that that's kind of the 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 path in my mindset from diagnosis to where I am right now. So you're constantly traveling, like you mentioned, for the work that you do, and a big part of the struggle with that for anyone is you know taking care of your body, eating right, sleeping right. It's a whole nother level, of course, with conditions like we're dealing with. But I assume are there some things you've picked up over the years as you've kind of checked in with yourself to see where the progression of the disease is at? Is there some go-tos with traveling, like I said, whether it's diet, sleep, routine, et cetera, that you really lean into? I mean, there's there's a, there's a lot of things about travel that are that are challenging for me. I think for anybody that's going through it, and, and you know, I, I I go through it with other people, and I know how how taxing it is on on able-bodied people. Mm-hmm. So there is that aspect of take care of your controllables, right? Um, yes, eat 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 properly. I I try and I feel like if I if I feel like I'm getting a little too heavy, sometimes it's a little more burdensome on my body. So I try and keep slim. I'm a, I'm a thin guy. Um, but I try and keep it, keep it off a little bit. And then, uh, you know, yeah, get your rest. The, the exercise I can do now is, I mean, I get enough, enough exercise. I call it my, uh, muscular dystrophy yoga, you know, mm-hmm. just trying to get out of bed, um, get out of, uh, out of, out of my, you know, seated condition here and, um, and just walk around the house is sort of enough, uh, exercise and it's taxing. Um, but all those things you have to do, uh, I try and use this little, um, exercise bike that I can, you know, it has just pedals and you can put it up to a chair and do it and just to get a little cardio and get a little movement in the legs and things like that, because I am using a, a mobile, a mobility device to help me, uh, in, in a lot of situations now. So I feel like I'm not walking as much and it's, you know, chicken or the egg kind of, kind of thing. Right. Um, but the other part of the thing that's really taxing is when I travel, it's become hard for me to get in and out of a chair. Mm-hmm. I, it's become impossible for me to get up and down from a chair by myself. So I need someone to help me with that. So when I travel with the nets, I have people around me that know that and can lift me out of a chair. Then there's the aspect of my scooter. I need to be able to have somebody that can put it in the car. Uh, when I travel with football, I travel with my neighbor, my company that I they, that I work for, the Great Compass Media Networks. And Peter Kosan came to me a few years ago and said, "Would it help if someone traveled with you? Because we're a national broadcast. We have people coming from other parts of the country, so I don't have people that I'm like we have to go on our own." And he was like, "If somebody came with you, would it be a help?" And I said, "Absolutely." And my neighbor was just going through the empty nest thing and uh, loves sports. So when I when I brought it to him, he was like, oh, that would be incredible. That would be great. I'd love to go to an M- NFL game every week um, and help you. It would be great. So I trained him to be my spotter and he actually is my spotter and uh, on the games, which is somebody that stands next to me with my chart and can point out the, who made the tackle and maybe what running back is in the game, that kind of thing. Uh, be an extra pair of eyes. Uh, and at the same time, he's my personal spotter. He can lift me out of a chair. He can make mm-hmm. sure that if I got to walk to the bathroom, I can hold on to his arm, you know, things like that. So that's one aspect of it. You know, you go to hotels. Um, some of the beds are lower than others. If if it's too low, I can't get up from the bed. If it's, you know, there are little things like that that maybe the average person doesn't think about. 
you know, just getting dressed. A lot of times I use a, I'll, I'll, I'll sit on the bathroom counter, uh, the vanity. And, but then sometimes there isn't much room on them. And so now getting dressed is another, uh, thing that is different for me from hotel room to hotel room. You know, does the shower, can I walk in? Do I have to step over a tub? All these things. Yeah. That when you're home, you you have sort of adjusted your home and your living space to deal with these things. But when you go to a hotel room now, everyone is different. Even though it's accessible, everyone is different. And, you know, you, you have to, so, so it, it's time and energy spent just getting dressed and getting out of bed. And I joke all the time. I go, you know, <laughs> there's some mornings where it may be a, or a room where it's just a little easier than another. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell my neighbor, Ira, who comes with me on these football trips, and I'll say, you know, Jim Nance doesn't have to worry about this crap. You know, Joe Buck today didn't have to get up and think about how he's getting dressed. Mm-hmm. You know, he could just sort of, you know, read another article on the game. But I have that other layer of, of a challenge. And yeah, but I, it, it, I'm not complaining. It's just, it's just that, you know, I wear it like a, a trophy. This is what I've had to overcome. You know, this is what I have to deal with. So, yeah. uh, it makes the, it makes the successes even more, um, e- even more, uh, even more, uh, in, you know, uh, gratifying to me. Exactly. You, you bring up a really good point that I, I don't want to say struggle with, but I certainly give thought to where it's like, you don't want to resent the people, especially in your profession or your personal life that aren't going through the same things and the same challenges you are. And, you know, it's so surface level for everyone. They see what you're going through, but at the end of the day, you just kind of have to channel that, I guess, into positivity. And, uh, you know, speaking on that, we first spoke, I was doing a project with Adidas and pretty similar to this, just kind of like the ins and outs of how you approach your career while managing your condition. And I remember you had a very thoughtful summary of how to gauge the reality of, can you do the job? Because of course you, you want to be ambitious. You want to go for it despite what you're dealing with, but you had a really thoughtful note on, I think a, a point in your very early in early in your career where you were at the point of getting an agent and having to be transparent, like, look, this is what I can do. This is what I cannot do. And I assume it kind of set you on the the path where it's like, well, I can do radio. There's very little preventing me from doing that. and, And I quite enjoy it. So if you can kind of talk about one, how hard was it at that time to have that conversation, because I've been through it myself where, you know, at this point, I'm on the hunt for media jobs right now. And I, I try to be as transparent as possible about my condition, not because I really need to be to do the job. I just feel like it makes everyone's life a little easier, including mine. So, yeah, if you can talk a little bit about any advice you would give to people about, you know, being transparent and realistic with yourself about whether or not you can do a job with a condition. You know, the, the, the thing you were, you were mentioning was a conversation I had when I first got my agent. I was already in, I, I already had the next job and I was looking for other things to do. And as far as having people see me, I, I wasn't concerned about that. Um, I think the only thing I told them was at the time, um, and I was still able to travel on my own at the time. So it wasn't an issue from that standpoint where now that is an issue. Um, but the other aspect of it was I said, 
I can't be a sideline reporter where I've got to run after people. Right. That was the that was kind of the only thing that I I felt at the time was a limitation. So that that would be you have to be open and honest. I mean, you can I could I I want everybody to be, you know, do whatever you can do, you know, just you know, go for your dreams, don't let your disability stop you. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, you I can't play center field for the Yankees if I can't run. Right. So you you're you're realistic with your with your dreams and your passions. The thing that that drives me, and I think this would go for anyone who's dealing with a similar situation is I love what I do and I'm really good at it. And that the other stuff, I have to just figure out a way to get to that point. And, and, and I think if, if there's anything that you're passionate about, that you're, that really energizes you, that you make a living doing that's important, you, you, you'll go through all the other stuff to, to get there. And I think some of the stuff you, if you really, you know, you may have someone out there who's listening to this that has a disability and, you know, getting to their job is becoming a a little more taxing and, and trouble than it's worth. It's probably because you're not passionate about doing the thing that you're doing. Sure. And it's not just, you know, a handicap accessible office or a ramp or transportation. It's about cultivating the, the, the relationships in your life that will provide you with the help that you need. You know, I always say that I need everyday assistance from my family. I mean, they're really important. And it makes me overlook a lot of the the petty things that come up in a relationship. Because every day I have a reminder of how important those people really are. And it, and it gives you a sense of what's really important. And it makes you look at some of the petty stuff and see it as petty. And I think that that's something, that's the perspective, I think, that, you know, giving, that, that's the perspective that going through a challenge like you and I go through, it, that, that is important to realize. Even the people that are my coworkers, you know, anybody, my partner of the last 19 years on the radio, Tim Capstraw. I mean, are there things that I do that probably get on his nerves? Sure. Are there things that he does that get on my nerves? Sure. We spend so much time around each other. But I know how important he's been to me. And, and keeping going. I mean, he's the one who about five years ago or four years ago when, when you know, you, you get these thresholds, when we talk about this being a progressive disease, suddenly I used to be able to, you know, get out of a chair and be bent over at the waist and then be able to straighten myself up. Right. And all of a sudden I wasn't able to do that anymore. And it, you can't believe how much that complicated my life. And I was like, well, I don't know if I can now continue to do this. And Tim said to me, well, you're not going to quit. Like, we're going to figure out a way. Like, you're too good at what you do. We'll, we'll find a way to help you do all the other stuff you can't do. And it might be harder. It might be challenging. It's frustrating. But we're going to help you do it. But And I think that's a byproduct of that relationship that I cultivated with him. You know, with somebody that I want to be around and I know can help me and make sure that that's that you be the kind of person that those people want to help and they will help you get where you have to be. And as long as you can get there, you, as long as you can do the job, you can, you can get help in getting there. 
I definitely try to live with that same mentality, but it, it never hurts to have reminders, um, especially with someone who's you know going through something very similar. And I've I've been at a lot of those same benchmarks for sure. And it can be a little complicated too, because I always, I'll let myself stop to think like, well, I was really, really active. And then it got really challenging to be that active. And it is chicken before the egg. Like, did I get worse because I got less active or am I less active because it got worse? And that can be, that's a really troubling thing to navigate, you know, professionally, personally, and, you know, with a a progressive disease like we have, you're kind of told that it'll take a while to get to points and you're not just going to wake up one day and things are harder, but it does a lot of times kind of seem like you wake up one day and things are harder. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think it's important if, 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 you, if I could tell any, speak to anybody like you or anybody else listening, that's going through something like this and anything in your life. Number one, everybody has, a, a, everybody's life is progressively getting worse in terms of your, your aging. True. You know, we are just, it's, it's, it's affecting us more because we're going through a disease, plus we're going through the aging process. So you have to always, you know, I always say, just because we have muscular dystrophy doesn't absolve us from any other diseases we can get. You know, it doesn't right. mean that it's a get out of cancer free card. You know, if you still don't live your life the right way, there are other things that will befall you. So like anybody has to worry about those things. The other the other issue is, it's not your fault. You know, you're, it's not your fault that you have muscular dystrophy. You could do all the, the physical therapy and someone once described it with me. It's like getting in the ring with, you know, Mike Tyson. You're, if mm-hmm. I'm in really good shape and I can, you know, maybe that means I can get in a few more licks, but ultimately he's going to knock me out. I mean, yeah. Um, but the whole idea is, it's not your fault. You have to, you, these things are not, it's not, it, your, your body is progressing. It's weakening. It's not because you didn't do enough sit-ups today. It's just, it's happening. So the idea, the idea is do whatever you can to make sure that you can continue doing what you love. Like if you couldn't hike anymore, like if that's what you love to do, but it's become dangerous for you, what's going to happen is you're going to be in that that purgatory period where you know it's dangerous and you go and it's not un- it's uncomfortable and you're not enjoying it as much. Yeah. And then you realize, but if I had some sort of a high terrain scooter or a wheelchair, that maybe I can still enjoy a lot of the aspects of of what it was about going out into nature and hiking and and be more comfortable doing it. You know, I found myself in that in that period where you know, for again, with a with a slowly progressing disability like we go through, you you never feel like you're part of that club yet, and yep. you worry how you're going to be viewed. You you spent your whole life building this image of yourself, and then suddenly, well, if I go to use a wheelchair or a scooter or you know, in, in back up, go I'm going to use a cane. You're suddenly now you're 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 admitting defeat in some way. You know, you're you're projecting that on other people that they're going to look at me differently. But then you realize you get to a point where you deserve to be comfortable and pursue the things you love in life and not be anxious about hurting yourself or avoiding things. 
Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of what it, the, the decision for me to start using uh, this, this uh, motorized chair or this scooter, which is more lightweight when I'm on the road and we can bring it with us and throw it in the trunk of a car. Cause there are a lot of, you know, logistical issues to it. But, um, you know, I'd love to go to ball games with my son. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm, when I'm covering a game as media, I have a, I used to have a different entrance and everything's accessible and it, it's different. But when I want to just go enjoy a game with my son, go to a Yankees game, which we'd love to do, one of the favorite things we got to do together, it, it had been started to get a little more anxiety ridden for me because, you know, he was young and I would always be like, I'm worried about somebody bumping into me. I'm worried about falling. I'm worried about, you know, when we get to our chairs, I I can't navigate the steps like I used to. I can't get in and out of the chair. It was this, this bothersome, worrisome thing. And then when my, so my son would go, hey, dad, let, how about we should go to the Yankee game this Saturday? And I'd be like, oh, nah, you know, I, I think we have something else to do. Like I was avoiding it. That's awful. Yes. Yeah. That's worse than when you were diagnosed and you could still do stuff. And it's, and it's worse than now. It's, that's awful. And that was the thing that made me say, you know what? I'm going to get the chair. I'm going to get the van that we can get it in and out of. And I don't care what anybody thinks because what they think doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that me and my son can go enjoy the game. And it's, it, it takes away my anxiety. And listen, it, it, he, he noticed it. We go to a game and he was, you know, he would be 12 years old. And I could see him trying to shield me from people. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, w- I don't want this guy to bump into your daddy. Maybe we'll, we'll wait here until it clears out a little bit. Then we'll go like, so suddenly it's impacting him as well. And I got to get over myself and put myself in that chair and just go. And now we enjoy the games and now we look to go all the time. So that would be my my biggest message is not to fear these things. These things are, a friend of mine once told me, these things are not made to separate you from society. They're made to help you participate. And that's what you have to remember. Along those lines and... On a pretty good, promising note, you know, I keep an eye on the FSHD community uh, pretty closely. It sounds like there's some really promising in terms of a treatment and even, you know, with gene therapies, it's a potential cure. It seems like there's been some pretty promising breakthroughs for your specific condition. So how does that feel for you as someone who's, you know, you've done quite a bit of fundraising, awareness raising to get to this point? And had such a journey with this disease. Yeah. What do you what are you hopeful about well, with that? And what are you realistic about? No, and 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 you know what? That was some uh, you know, I, I make it sound a little bit like I just am letting this all happen to me and then just dealing with it. Right. But no, I also I also tried to take a leadership role and go out and try and do something about helping people. And I'm not I'm I'm accepting it, but I'm not ignoring it. You know, I'm trying to go out and make sure, you know, you have to, I always say we have to participate in our own rescue. If somebody throws you a life preserver, sometimes you have to swim to it. Right. And when I started the foundation, it was, you know, for many years I was living with this disease and and you do get to a point where 
you had that, I call that come to Jesus moment where you, you realize that you can't bury your head in the sand anymore and, and you can't ignore it and you really have to go out and do something about it. So we started the foundation in 2011 and we've raised over a million dollars. All of it goes to research and we've had some really impactful research and there are clinical trials going on. There is hope that there will be something. We know what causes the disease. We know, so scientists have a target. There's a lot of great research going on. There's, um, there's gene therapy, as you mentioned. We have a highly promising uh, project that we funded in the past that could be in clinic in a couple of years. Um, there's the CRISPR gene uh, editing, which has come to the, the forefront recently. And we have a researcher that we funded and we help with his development of the CRISPR technique that could one day edit the gene that causes FSHD. And, um, and we continue to be hopeful for that. And there's some drugs that are in the market right now, and all this didn't exist 11 years ago. Right. So it does give you hope. It, any research, any cures, treatments, things like that, they're long shots. They're you know, but but you know, it's like anything. You 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 can't win if you don't participate, and you know you have to get in the game and do those things. So uh, I'm hopeful. I try not to to rely on it and say, all right, I don't have to worry about. Uh, my life in 15 years because there's going to be a treatment and a cure. I'm, I'm, I do have hope for it, and and I hope that's right. But I try not to live that far in the future. In general, if there is or there isn't, here's what I'm dealing with right now. I'm not going to fear it or start to convince myself that it's everything will be great. I plan for it, plan for the worst, hope for the best. But you have to, but you, but you can't just hope. You've got to do the work. And the work is funding research, and uh, and I think we are hopeful that that I I really I think things like CRISPR. If anybody has seen, um, you know, there's a documentary on uh, on Netflix now about CRISPR. I can't think of the name of it. You could probably put that in a note somewhere um, if I remember it later. But uh, I think a lot of things that. Are, are have people that are that are challenging people now are going to be um, they're going to be able to, to to do something with that down the road. I mean, it, it, you know, things from ALS to MS and and all these things that are are, are genetic disorders, um, they'll be able to do that. So I think there's really a cha- there's there's hope for a lot of people that you know if, if if I gave you a chance to just stop the progression of your disease in two years, you take it. Definitely. Right? You, yeah. you know, we yeah. talk about all these things progressing. That gives you hope that I say, well, maybe what I am is going to be this way, but in five years, we can halt the progression. I mean, you take it. That That's hope enough. That drives me to keep going and trying to raise money and fund research and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think CRISPR is the one I forget about the most, even though I guess it's kind of the most like mainstream and the most intriguing. Like if, if you take at surface value, what, like what it said that that can do, you know, you could maybe spend a, some time after that treatment playing center field for the Yankees. I could be throwing dimes to uh, Bronny Jr. on the Cavs in my forties. And yeah, you know, they, yeah they, I mean, there's that other. There, there's a whole other. Um, uh, Human Nature, by the way, is the name of the uh, documentary. It's called Human Nature on Netflix. Oh, but nice. uh, our re- uh, researcher, Dr. Peter Jones, at University of Nevada. Reno uh, School of Medicine, we funded 
years ago, we, we helped him develop a, a mouse model that's used in dozens of labs around the world. And he used it as a way of, uh, and he used CRISPR and he was able to cure it in a cell, cure FSHD in a cell. And now it's just, you know, continued development and to try and get it to humans is another thing. But there was a big Washington Post article on his use of CRISPR to, you know, solve the riddle of FSHD. And the 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 thing that, that holds it back is some some of it, and it addresses this in the uh, in the documentary is the ethical and moral grounds. You know, can we then do it in in embryos and you know create right. these superhumans and people want to edit out, you know, decide whether their child wants to have blue eyes or brown eyes and things like that, you know, but I, I think they're not to, not to, you know, that, that, that is a, that is a, a question. I mean, that's a, that's a definitely a dilemma, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, if you can prevent people from having to go through the challenges that we do, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm conflicted about it as well, but I think when you can try and help people live a better life, I think that's a good thing. For sure. I think people can get caught up in that, the science fiction, I guess, element of it, where it's like, yeah, for people like us, we're far more concerned with how it can better our lives and existence going forward and totally eradicate the challenges we've had to go through, you know, hopefully for future generations. That to me has always been a little more important than worrying if Russia can build an army of Tom Brady's or anything yeah. like that. Um, yes. But yeah, we'll see what happens, but it's certainly something to be optimistic about and, and very interesting. And so in wrapping it up today and, you know, hopefully talking about the not too distant future, my hope is that coming out of, of COVID, whatever that looks like, my hope is that you and myself, maybe it's before game seven NBA finals, <laughs> right by Staples Center, Nets and Lakers. We can grab some coffee and, and hang out in real life. And, you know, I apologize in advance for what LeBron James tends to do. In game <laughs> um, but when this all comes to fruition, it'll be like we predicted the, the future, which looks pretty likely on paper. Yeah. Uh, and wrapping it up, where can people check out what you're up to, aside from uh, being on the radio in terms of the foundation? And uh, yeah, what do you just uh, want to leave people with closing up? Uh, yeah, well, our foundation is the Chris Carino Foundation for FSHD, chriscarinofoundation.org. It's on all your social media outlets as well. Um, and, you know, we're a, we're a farm to table foundation. We take your money and we give it to researchers. We don't have, uh, I don't have a uh, payroll. I don't have anybody working for me and um, I don't pay rent in, a, in, a, in an office or anything like that. We, we do our best to, to, to promote the awareness for FSHD, which helps us raise money and we give it right to researchers and it's important to do it. And as far as personally, I'm uh, at Chris Carino on, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. If people want to get in touch with me, you know, I'm working on right now a, a website and a podcast and a blog that I think um, people will enjoy that will, that will be very similar to what you're doing and, and what we talked about here. Uh, and, uh, and I oh, hope, nice. and it's going to be called Relentless Voice and we'll get out and, and do some good work. Great. Well, thanks again. It's always a pleasure, Chris, and looking forward to the season. Tony, great to talk to you, man. Thank you. Thanks again to Chris for joining. Um, if you're a listener in the tri-state area, you should definitely check him out on the radio this season covering 
a super exciting NBA team in the Brooklyn Nets. And for everyone else, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Good Nature, and I hope you subscribe and come back and check out another one. And I hope you have a happy holiday. I'll talk to you then. Stay good.